Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. We're going to talk today a little bit about harvest loss, and I know many of you haven't even gotten started on harvest yet, and for some it looks like it's quite a ways off yet. Uh, just to uh, comment a little bit on what's been going on the last week, uh, I know uh, we've had some questions. What's going on? You guys you guys on vacation? Oh, I've been out and about quite a bit. I've uh, been spending the last, uh, gosh, two and a half weeks traveling around uh, in the upper Midwest, just all over multiple states, talking to farmers, looking at crops, getting out in fields. It's been really, really interesting. And one of the things that that I would say it, it's interesting hearing uh, what the what the USDA is talking about the updated production numbers. So many of these so- soybean fields that we're looking at, they got a little ways to go. Uh, in in many areas, we still have green fields haven't even started turning. In other areas, they're they're pretty aggressively starting to turn yellow. Now, once we see that, we need another month. So here we go. We're the the middle of September. We're going to need the middle of October before uh, we're ready to go. Uh, I've had a couple of guys say, you know, the fields are so uneven, we're going to need a frost to even things up. But I don't want to wish for that. I, I would prefer to see uh, that frost hold off as long as possible for the soybeans, just because anytime we get that frost a little bit earlier and before those beans are done, we, we lose yield. And I, I don't want to do that. On the corn side, many, many questions about, is our corn going to make it? And it's interesting because everybody's nervous about it. Yet when I go in fields, there's quite a bit of difference. In some areas, guys are almost a black layer. And it's like, are you going to make it? Yes, you're, you're going to make it. In other areas, they're a long ways away. And they say, am I going to make it? And I'm like, uh, as long as that frost comes, as many in the industry are saying, October 45th, yeah, we might make it. But if it comes a little earlier than that, it could be trouble. And it's it's hard to know without getting out there and looking. And what I would say is this. If you're nervous about it, just get out. Break some ears open. Take a look. Do a little estimating on your own. There's lots of tools you can find online if you don't already know what the numbers are and how many GDUs you need from, from each stage. And when we talk about GDUs, I, I'm always interested because there's so many things to know in agriculture that no matter what topic we're discussing, there's someone that says, hey, let's go back to the basics here. Don't don't get too far ahead of me. How do you figure a GDU or a growing degree day? Well, the way you do it on corn is you take the high temperature for the day plus the low temperature for the day, add them together, then you divide by two and subtract 50. Uh, The high, if it's over 86, we just use 86 as a max. The low, if it's below 50, well, we use 50 as a minimum. So let's just say you had a day that was 70 for a high, 50 for a low. We're talking Fahrenheit here. So 70 plus 50 is 120, divided by 2 is 60, and then minus 50 would equal 10 growing degree days. So if you had a high of 70, a low of 50, you just got 10 growing degree days. So how much more do we need? Well, I would say the range uh, in GDUs that we need to finish this crop off, in some areas I saw some that maybe need another 200 GDUs. Well, if you got 10 GDUs a day, well, that's 20 days. So about the 1st of October, you'd be great. Others need 600 GDUs. So we're hoping for some pretty warm weather in some areas. And, and honestly, we're going to get it in some areas too. We're going to get highs in the 80s, maybe even up to 90. 
Uh, I know there's parts of Nebraska, for example, and you get some 90 degree highs coming up. And uh, in South Dakota, we've heard some 80 degree highs. In North Dakota, we've heard some 70 degree highs. So kind of depends on where you're at, what you're going to get coming up here. But we, we need to add those up, no doubt about it. We need the sunshine too. And one of the challenges with all this rain that we're getting this fall is we're hardly getting any sunlight hours. It seems like it's cloudy or or rainy until the last couple hours of daylight, which are getting to be less and less, by the way, too, as that sun keeps setting a little bit earlier going into this fall. So we've got a long ways to go. We've got crop that's all over the board, and we've got that within fields, too, where parts of the field look completely different than other parts. The other question we've been getting a lot about has been stock integrity on some of the corn hybrids that are out there. Uh, and there are a lot of things going on here. First of all, we had issues last fall getting fertilizer on. Guys had issues this spring getting fertilizer on. And all of a sudden, guess what? We've got some crops that are short in fertilizer. Uh, other areas, we got the fertilizer on and we just had so much rain that either the roots were so shallow or uh, we had leaching issues or whatnot. There are a lot of different things going on there. The other thing is the soil conditions at planting time were just, well, let's face it, not fit. We had wet cold, lumpy, compacted soils. It, it was a challenge the whole year through for these root systems to grow. So we didn't get very good roots under our crops. And in many cases, the root systems were compromised and we had diseases getting in. We're seeing some of those things really show themselves now with stock rots and other issues. There, there's no fix to it for this year. Certainly going into next year, we can change up how we do it. Uh, trying to, to plant in the best conditions we can, which we're always trying to do. But you could add fungicide in furrow. We're adding a lot to the seed treatments that we're using on our crops. That's been making a huge difference for us. Insecticide, if you've got some insects out there that are feeding on your crop or if your crop's going to lay in the ground for a little bit longer. All those things have been really helpful for getting our crop off to a good start and getting that root system protected and healthy so you don't have those issues. And then finally, we had late planted corn this year. And when you look at late planting, you get so much faster growth. Each node, the, the inner nodes are going to be longer. So the distance between from one leaf up to the next gets to be quite a bit longer. And when you do that, you're just more susceptible to breakage. And we saw a green snap across a wide uh, amount of acres in the upper Midwest this year and in other parts of the country too. Part of it was just that we had really fast-growing crop and the winds came just at the wrong time. Now, as we get into this fall, with these stock rot issues and other things going on, we're going to have to watch out for eardrop. We're going to have to watch out for lodging. Uh, it's it's going to be an interesting harvest, no doubt about that. So uh, we're going to talk about harvest loss on today's show, talk about what to watch for, what are some of the things that you can do on your farm to try to minimize any potential losses that you may see. We're also taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD if you'd like to join the discussion, or you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with Ag PhD Radio. As your corn crop grows and the ear begins to form, potassium is at a high demand, almost as high as nitrogen. The same is true for soybeans with similar high demands of potassium during pod fill. Don't fall behind and ensure your crop is getting its potassium with Catalyst. Catalyst by Actigrow has been shown to be the best at entering the leaf when compared to other leading potassium products. Visit k-supercharged.com for more information. You got in the field. Well done. 
That wasn't an easy task this year. Now give your bean crop everything it needs to get the job done this season. Adding Agro Liquid Fertilizer to post-emerge spraying passes provides your soybeans with the nutrients needed when the plant reaches the reproductive stage. Foliar feeding soybeans can provide the in-season edge you need to economically and efficiently boost yield potential. We can help you develop a successful nutrition program for your soybeans. To learn more, visit agroliquid.com. Clean fields and higher yields start with a strong battle plan. For soybean growers, there's no stronger ally than Sonic Herbicide. When applied pre-emerge, Sonic has proven to defeat yield robbers like water hemp, mare's tail, and giant ragweed. With long-lasting residual control, it keeps fighting to defend your field from invaders. Visit battleweeds.com to plan your attack against weeds. Always read and follow label directions. Sir, yes, sir! Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today talking about harvest loss. And we can't afford to lose a single bushel this year. We're going to need it. We also can't afford to uh, to take less for our, our commodities that we're going to be selling. So want to keep up to date on what's going on with the markets and marketing opportunities that you have as well. i got Scott Harms with us right now with Grain PhD. Scott, thanks for joining us. Good afternoon, Darren. Glad to be here. You know, we uh, we heard about the USDA releasing their updated production figures, and for a change, it seems like they were fairly well received. Uh, what what did they have to tell us today? Yeah, it seems like it's been a while since we've gotten a report that um, the market seemed to to like when it comes from the USDA. It uh, seems like all they do is uh, just throw more pressure on the current prices, but uh, uh, the you know the numbers were uh, not significantly different than last month. There were some changes and there were some sleeper numbers. Uh, they did take uh, corn yield and drop it um, slightly from last month. I think just over a bushel uh, uh, per acre. And, um, you know, they cut, uh, made some cuts to the balance sheet on old crop and a little bit of new crop. They cut ethanol usage. Carryover did go up slightly because of those cuts to uh, exports. So, you know, overall, uh, the corn uh numbers that we received today were probably a little bit slightly negative, I guess. I'll just call them neutral. Um, On the soybean side, I think that's where you got the uh, positive influence. They did cut uh, acreage there as well, down to 47.9 bushel per acre. um, But they made some cuts to the old crop balance sheet and on increases in usage when exports-wise and um, on the uh, crush side of it. And uh, so they took carryover down uh, quite a bit for uh, new crop in the beans. And I think that's where probably the headline number, I suppose, uh, was today. But overall, uh, you know, the the market reaction was favorable. I think there was a little bit of a uh, sigh of relief that the USDA didn't pound us with additional negative numbers, especially after what happened last month. We got the surprise increase in corn yield last month. And I think there was a probably in the trade a little bit of a fear that, uh, USDA was going to continue that trend uh, this month. Uh, the fact that they didn't and provide us, 
you know, and didn't provide fresh bearish news for those that are already short the market, I think allowed some people to step in and and probably take some of those short positions off. We have the funds short over close to 120,000 contracts of corn and 60,000 contracts of beans. So maybe they've squeezed enough out of the short side. This is a time of the year where we normally see a little bit of a trend change. We've made our lows a lot of times in early September. So all signs toward, point towards uh, at least a temporary bottom here. The big question moving forward is going to be, What's going to be the driver? How much of a catalyst can we get to the upside? And there's some things out there, um, but uh, it may take time. It's probably the biggest driver in the short term is going to be further production cuts, and that won't be for another 30 days now. All right, Scott. So what, what were some of the key takeaways, and, and what are you looking forward to in the coming reports? Yeah, I think, the as I mentioned, the, the probably the biggest takeaway for me was the soybean balance sheet. You know, the crop year we just finished, we had over a billion bushel carryover uh, as the final number. And for the projection going forward, next year's balance sheet, they're projecting a 640 million bushel carryover. So that's significant. And we've, you know, we've been working around a billion bushel for a while, and that's been really pressuring any kind of positive attitude, any kind of positive news in the trade. You can't come up for air when you're talking about a 900 million bushel carryover suffocating the market. But, you know, 640 million bushel is certainly not bullish, but it's closer to zero than 900. So, you know, it's it's really a, a function of perhaps going forward, if we can tighten the balance sheet up further, then all of a sudden we got ourselves a market. So I think that's the real key is to get rid of that overhanging supply of soybeans. We have some things moving forward that – um, you know, can be drivers to soybeans moving forward. I think the other the other factor in today's report that grabbed attention was the implied they, they, they take a pod weight for soybeans, and it was the highest in the last 10 years. Now, when they take their pod weights, they, they basically what they do is they take the yield number, then they work backwards and plug in a pod weight based on the number of pod, pods that they have. Uh, so I think that pod weight number moving forward is going to be something that's going to have to be adjusted downward, and then when we talk about pods, we had 6 million acres of soybeans yet to even set pods as of Sunday. And uh, this report was taken as of September 1st. So there's a, you know, there was a lot that they couldn't even survey. So I think if you're moving forward, um, the biggest change moving forward may happen in the soybean yield um, because I think that's where the greater unknown is and, um, and provides the best uh, – you know, potential from a price perspective moving forward, especially with South America rather dry right now. It's earlier in their growing season, but they are dry. And, um, you know, some positive news on the trade front. Yeah, that soybean yield, as you mentioned, is is tough to peg to get the combines out there, that's for sure. Okay, you, you teased us here with some trade news of, of what's going on. What's happening there? Yeah, I think this week we've had, you know, kind of a ramping up of the rhetoric between the two sides. I think we're you know, it's it's a situation where we're getting closer to being backed into a corner on both sides. They both want to get a deal done quicker, and we we I know we've been saying that for over a year now. But um, you know, China has you know dwindled on their pork supplies. They've they've uh, accessed a lot of their frozen supplies of pork uh, to satisfy you know their um, you know their citizens and, you know, kind of try to keep inflation under control. And I think it's also uh, we're starting to see a window where South American supplies for soybeans are not going to be available. They're not in need of major soybean supplies right away. But I think there's a door open here where 
there's more of an impetus for China to get to the table. And so there was some talk this morning uh, that our administration made the comment that they were going to back down on some tariffs that they were supposed to go in as of October 1st. They were going to delay those a couple of weeks. And then um, there was a rumor that was debunked shortly thereafter, but it was the comment that caught the trade's attention was that the Trump administration was willing to give ground on some uh, tariffs in order to get a deal done or back off here temporarily. And uh, again, that was debunked later, but still provided some support to the trade. And then as it, there were rumors in the trade that export business was being done, and it was announced that uh, China did buy 600,000 metric tons of soybeans um, and off of the Pacific Northwest, and that's going to be delivered this year. Uh, that is a step in the right direction, a long way to go, but kind of positive news given the relative to where price-wise where we've been, that kind of news provides some nice support. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay, so with, with this information behind us, uh, what kind of conversations will you be having with, with farmers moving forward? Yeah, I, I think we're going to work on the assumption that um, or the basis that um, – we are setting some lows here temporarily. Um, you know, we're going to move out of this hole. It's going to take a little bit of time. I think the subsequent reports moving forward are going to provide additional support. Uh, so I don't see any re reason to pull the trigger right away. Uh, but uh, we're setting an initial objective in D's corner around 390. Um, and November beans around the 920 level with the surge that beans had today. We're not that far from that price level. And we get to those price levels, we'll be talking very, um, you know, in-depth about uh, setting some kind of price floors, just a, a set an insurance policy. We want to leave more room to the upside in case the crop continues to, crop size to, continues to dwindle as the combines get rolling. We've been talking about that all summer. We don't want to be too quick to pull the trigger once the market finally starts to realize that perhaps the crop isn't there like we thought. So we want to be able to put some, once we get to our first initial stage, we want to put on some price supports in, but uh, we want to leave the upside open. And I don't see any reason why December corn can't get close to the 410 area. That's where we were going into the August production report and November beans. I, I, I really believe if the right things happen, it wouldn't take much to get us back up to the summer highs near 950. We'll be more aggressive when we move into those areas. We have a program where we get together with different analysts and we try to extrapolate ranges and, and set some price parameters where we think the market's going to trade and then set our price targets um, based on those ranges. And we'll be doing that over the next few days and that'll help to guide us more specifically what we're going to be doing. But uh, we'll, right now we're willing to sit back and, and let this market you know, short cover for a little bit and uh, we'll be ready to pull the trigger once we get you know, to our initial objective, but we want to leave some upside open. Yep, I think so. I think you you definitely need to leave a little bit of upside there. I'm still a little bit bullish. We'll we'll find out if I'm right or not. We've been talking with Scott Harms with Grain PhD. If you would like to learn more about how these grain markets work and what you can do, what your options are to protect your farm, just visit us at grainphd.com. We've got free education there, and of course, you can talk to experts like Scott as well. Scott, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Darren. Take care. Listening to Ag PhD Radio. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Find your full potential and increase your bottom line with branded generic fungicides from Atticus LLC. Fungal diseases can be devastating, but Acadia, Slant, and Talaris 4.5F from Atticus deliver lasting, broad-spectrum fungi control so your soybeans, sugar beets, and dry beans can thrive. Growers across the region count on Atticus for relevant and reliable products that deliver results every time. 
Ask your local retailer about Atticus products and visit AtticusLLC.com to learn more. For value-based solutions you can trust, turn to Atticus. Always read and follow label instructions. Build with the best. When you choose Morton Buildings for your next farm storage building, you'll experience the Morton Advantage at every step, starting before the walls even go up. Since the value of our buildings is in its ability to protect what you have stored inside, we ensure that every component is researched and tested to withstand the elements in all weather conditions. And we back it up with the strongest warranty in the business. Looks better. Built stronger. Lasts longer. Learn more at MortonBuildings.com. Foliar sprays are only effective if you can get applied product into the plant. Nutex EDA is a micronutrient-based additive that delivers the foliar absorption boost you've been looking for. Nutex EDA supports rapid penetration and translocation of both nutrients and systemic crop protection within plants. Research trials have shown a 10 to 20% increase in nutrient absorption and higher tissue levels for a longer period, resulting in higher yields. Use Nutex EDA this season with all your foliar applications. Using NSERVE Nitrogen Stabilizer with Fall Fertilizer Applications keeps nitrogen available into the spring for maximum crop growth. Field trials in Iowa show NSERVE delivered an average revenue increase of $22.96 per acre, and NSERVE is the only recognized nitrogen stabilizer product in the Iowa Nutrient Reduction Strategy because it reduces nitrate leaching. That's max profit in an environmentally sustainable way. Calculate your field's profit potential at nitrogenmaximizers.com. You got in the field. Well done. That wasn't an easy task this year. Now give your bean crop everything it needs to get the job done this season. Adding agro-liquid fertilizer to post-emerge spraying passes provides your soybeans with the nutrients needed when the plant reaches the reproductive stage. Foliar-feeding soybeans can provide the end-season edge you need to economically and efficiently boost yield potential. We can help you develop a successful nutrition program for your soybeans. To learn more, visit agroliquid.com. Customer service goes a long way when trying something new. Ryan Shaw from Michigan shares how Soil Warrior helped him transition to strip tillage in his operation. The Soil Warrior guys, they are amazing to work with. They made this jump in this transition extremely painless. One question that I get all the time is, how is the service and everything? And I said, well, actually, I get better service from them than I typically do my dealers uptown. They're just amazing. More info at SoilWarrior.com. Listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. Broadcasting live from the Morton Studio. And really excited about today's show because it's something that, oh boy, visiting so many farms at harvest time, I, I just see that harvest loss could be, I, don't, I shouldn't say eliminated, but certainly minimized. I know on our own farm, I remember. Boy, a number of years back, I, I was right just riding in the combine. I went out to check and see how things were going and uh, riding with one of the guys in the combine. And we had a little spot. We had a couple little spots in the field where the soybeans were leaning. And there had been a lot of wind that fall. Soybeans were leaning. And as we were combining, I looked out the side and I saw, man, I just see all kinds of beans bouncing around. And there they are on the ground after the combine had gone through. And so I said, stop the combine. And I went out and checked. We were giving up over seven bushels of beans by combining both ways. And we figured out what the price of soybeans was. And there are only a few spots like this in the field, thank goodness. 
that it was worth it for us to combine one way. And it's tough to make those calls. It's tough to slow things down at harvest, but I sure like making more money. And if that's what it takes to do it, I'm sure willing to do that. Uh, happy to have Mike Staten with us right now, a soybean educator with Michigan State. Mike, thanks for joining us. Darren, thanks for having me. You know, the little story that I had about, hey, I picked up seven bushels of beans by combining one way through just a couple poor spots in the field, but it, it adds up to real dollars, things like that. It can be huge. Really, on average, our average losses, preventable losses, are one to two bushels across the country. So um, it does. It does add up. So the key word is preventable. Okay, so what are the most common things that, that farmers should be aware of that, you know, if there's a couple of bushels there, that's real money. Uh, what could we do to, to get that so we don't lose it? Year in and year out, the number one thing, I think, is maintenance of the cutter bar. Um, just go through the, the knife sections, make sure that they're all sharp and tight. One of the things that's commonly overlooked is the guards themselves. Uh, they don't want any rounded edges on the guards. Uh, They've got to be aligned properly. Make sure that they're all aligned. If not, hit them a couple times with a hammer, get them in line, and you should be good to go. But uh, that can make a really big difference under almost most of the challenging conditions that we look at, whether they're lodged, whether they're short, whether they're wet, whether they're dry. Good cutter bar maintenance is number one. You know, I talked to a lot of farmers this year that say my fields are probably more variable than they've ever been. I got some spots out there that are still green. I got other parts that are really starting to turn. What's that going to be at harvest time, and, and how do we handle that? Uh, that? We're going to see it across the country that way. And I think uh, probably the biggest lesson I think that we're learning here in Michigan is to try to go after the beans a little bit wider than you normally would think you'd like to. And uh, when I say that, I don't want to go extreme, but I would say 16%. Um, I know that sounds high to a lot of producers, but uh, when you look at even using elevator uh, discount schedules, uh, average discount schedules and drying charges, um, harvesting beans uh, at uh, 15% is more profitable than harvesting them at uh, 10%. And harvesting at 14% is more profitable than harvesting at 11%. And as you know, that moisture can drop really fast. Yeah. So I think go after them a little bit wetter than you think you should, get started earlier, and I think that might pay dividends this year. Totally agree with you, and I know we're going to talk about how to how to deal with a little wetter stuff. Last year for us, we, we had to do that, Mike, or we just weren't going to get the beans out. They just weren't drying down, and I, I know talking to growers this year, that's certainly a concern for them. The other thing that's been a concern is what if my plants are green, my pods are dry, uh, am I just going to have to go after it? You do. You do. We call that green stem syndrome there. And typically where you'll see that is uh, the scenario that sets that up is dry conditions during much of the growing season, followed by wet weather, abundant rain after that, and good growing conditions after the dry spell. That'll lead us to environmentally induced green stem. Some varieties are different than others. We've seen that in, in uh, variety trials. But you do. You're right. You've got to go after them. No matter how slow and painful it is, if you don't, every time those pods undergo a wetting and drying cycle, you're going to increase the potential for them to shatter. And uh, that's just uh, uh, something we want to avoid. So you do have to go after them. Whenever you've got the dry pods and green stems, you just got you to spend the extra time and fuel to do it. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting harvest, no doubt about it. Mike Staten with Michigan State. Any last comments you've got, Mike, that we should leave with uh, soybean growers? 
Uh, just if if uh, I've had some experts that I really have tried to work with in the past, Gary Hightank, uh, formerly at University of Arkansas and others, and I have tried to summarize that information in a series of fact sheets that are available. Uh, if, uh, if your audience would just Google Michigan State University Extension News, uh, News for Agriculture, and uh, you'll find every article I've ever written on, on reducing harvest losses. And green green stem is covered in there, and lodged beans is covered in there, and um, so yep. That's excellent and very timely, very timely for our listeners. Uh, thank you so much, Mike Staten with Michigan State. Mike, really appreciate it. Darren, thank you. We've got uh, Tony Wendler with us right now with Farm Shop MFG, and and Tony, this is interesting, and I think very timely. Mike was just on talking about we're going to have to harvest soybeans a little wetter this year, or we're going to have loss out in the field that's totally preventable, but. I can already hear it from our listeners. I'm nervous. I've never harvested beans at 16% moisture before. How can we handle those beans safely? Well, the, the my first thought on, on uh, wet beans is how much you're going to grind them up in the combine. But once we step past that and we've got them in the bin, uh, what uh, I like are my alarm HT units. It's a humidity. It detects the humidity within the, the seed in the bin. And it allows you to ventilate to uh, lower the humidity, which is, uh, relates to the moisture in the beans. And you can bring them down pretty precisely to the uh, moisture you would like those beans to be. And, and in fact, like you, uh, you guys talked about on your show here uh, two weeks ago, uh, I've actually used the same system to pump humid air in and add moisture back to beans that were overdried and bring them back up to about 12.5%. You know what? Mike was so, talking about that too, Tony, that, uh, all right, we start off and the beans are a little wet, but it doesn't take long on a hot, sunny, windy day, and we're all of a sudden in the opposite end of the spectrum with dry beans too. Uh, and I like that idea. You know, if we could fix both ends of the spectrum, all of a sudden soybean harvest becomes a lot less stressful. Dump them in the, dump them in the bin, circulate some. Uh, you got to look at what your uh, average uh, moisture is. But you start circulating some uh, air through. If they're, if on the average you're a little over dry, then I'd be pumping a little more humid air, and you can actually look at the relative humidity, and uh, use it to. You go to the charts and the temperature, and you can use it to bring moisture up. The over, if you're moving air through, moving it around, the beans that are too wet are going to uh, shed moisture, and it'll be picked up by the drier ones. And uh, you know, pretty soon that bin's going to average out if you're stirring the air. And uh, looking to to create the average humidity within the seed for the uh, moisture of grain you want. You know, Tony, I was just meeting with a farmer this morning, and we were kind of talking about these same things. And he said, all right, I, I haven't looked at this seriously yet, but what do I need on my bin to be able to do this? And roughly, what am I going to spend on, a, on uh, getting a bin set up? On... Uh, First of all, on a bin, I, I was just in a conversation literally last night with a gentleman. Uh, one of the things is when we're pushing moisture fronts through bins, it's my understanding that you really can't push anything beyond about 18 or 20 feet. So we're looking at a, a, a bin that is a little bit shorter than what a lot of them are today. Uh, I would like to have good circulation. In mine, I use two of our alarm HTs, which is an alarm humidity temperature detection system. I have one low in the bin, about three or four feet off the floor, and the other one about uh, two or three feet down into the uh, the surface. Uh, 
One of the things also is you need to have that top surface level or as close to level as you can get it. With that, you can detect the, uh, the moisture front being pushed through. And again, what we're looking at is uh, we've got charts on our website. You go in there and say, okay, the average temperature within these beans, and I'm just going to for right now, is 65 or 70 degrees. You can go to the chart and say, okay, I need the uh, to get 12.5% beans. I need the relative humidity in there to be at this this level. Yeah, I love and that then, we can I love that we can target precisely what we want. Hey, Tony, we're up against a break. Can I can you hold on through the break? And I want to ask you a few more questions. To let you finish what you're talking about as well. Okay. Okay. All right, stay tuned. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're talking about harvest loss and also how to handle some of these challenging conditions this fall. We're taking your calls and questions too. Stay tuned. Your independent spirit is more rewarding than ever before. Unlike incentive programs that require growers to purchase a particular seed brand or to bundle certain products, the FMC Freedom Pass program rewards you for making the best choices for your fields. You decide what's best for your operation, from pre-plant to harvest. Your retailer and FMC take care of the rest. It's really that simple. The exclusive agronomic rewards, performance assurances, application innovations, and product financing of the FMC Freedom Pass program make it easier to protect your crops and cash flow. That's what we mean when we say we give you more freedom in the field. You'll experience more control and confidence, too. Generics and imitators can't promise that. Visit your authorized FMC retailer or fmcfreedompass.com to calculate your potential financial incentive and learn more. How do you know when to run your grain bin fans? There's an app for that. With the Steps GMS app, you can manually turn your fans on and off from your smartphone. You can also configure the Steps GMS app to automatically turn fans on when the humidity or temperature is ideal to keep your grain in top quality condition. Save yourself some time and take the guesswork out of managing your stored grain with the Steps GMS app. Contact us at stepsgms.com for more information. What if surviving a drought began with a microbe? What if instead of 10 buyers, you could access 10,000? What if you were paid for the carbon your crops pulled from the air? And what if these what-ifs weren't what-ifs at all? At Indigo, we're working with farmers to question the entire agriculture system, to reimagine everything from soil to sale. Yep, the whole lot. Visit indigoag.com questions to find out more. Indigo, from questions we grow. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. Hey, Bill, any advice to control tough weeds and rootworms? That's easy, Jim. Buy two, save three. Wait, for weeds and rootworms? Buy two, save three. Combine your Impact or new Impact Z herbicide purchase with a qualifying insecticide and save $3 per acre. Buy two, save three. That is good advice. For details, go to buy2save3.com. Impact, Impact Z, and Buy 2 Save 3 are trademarks owned by Amvac Chemical Corporation. All rights reserved. Impact Z is a restricted-use pesticide. Always read and follow label instructions.
Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD if you'd like to join our discussion about preventing harvest loss. Or if you have any agronomic question, we'd love to help you. You can also email us, radio at agphd.com, or find us on Twitter, agphdmedia, or Darren Hefty. We're talking with Tony Wendler just before the break about how to set your bins up to be able to handle a little bit wetter grain. Also, how to fix some dry grain and put some moisture back in there by using the humidity in the air. Uh, Tony, you were talking about uh, that that you can only push air so far. You need good circulation. You need the, the top of the bin to be level to be able to get these things to work. And you started talking about where you need to be uh, putting sensors in your bins and so forth to to really make the the most efficient use of, of your time and energy to get this done. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, as I was, I finished up, put sensors low, another one high. Uh, if we're adding moisture back, uh, like the chart, and I just talked, I pulled up the chart, I'm still here in my office. Oh, and what's your uh, website, at, Tony, where you said you've got this chart at? It's farmshopmfg.com, and you go to the, uh, the resource tab across the top. Okay, very good. So in the case of, of this, at um, 70 degrees, if we want to bring these things up to uh, 12.5%, we would want to look at relative humidities of the air outside that are above 70%. Actually, ideally, when I'm uh, trying to push it up, I'd actually be looking for some uh, moisture that uh, is in the uh, 85 to 99 as long as it's not raining. Sure. Uh, that's I did that with mine and literally put four points on them. I went from about eight and a half to nine up to 12 and a half. You know, Tony, I think we've all done that uh, by accident as we're running fans and we think, oh, what a great drying day. And then all of a sudden it goes into the evening and we don't, we don't remember to turn those fans off and boom, we put a whole bunch of moisture in by accident. The cool thing about this, you can set automatic controls so, so you can do that and not screw up, which, uh, which is always good for me. If I have some sort of, uh, for, for me, Darren proof mechanism to make sure I don't mess anything up that's a good deal we are i'm actually it's kind of interesting because one of the things i was looking at right before this call is i was online looking for an electrical box we are putting together what we're calling a weather station that will uh it'll end up as a default switch so that if you are wanting for our conversation to add moisture to beans you're going to pick times when the temperatures are a little bit cooler and the humidities are higher so you can have it run at night so the weather station says, yes, conditions are in the parameters uh, that you've selected. And then the uh, you set the same thing on your beans. So if you want to uh, drive the moisture up, you're going to set the, uh, the minimum humidity level at a certain point. And if it's not there, it's both things call for the fan. The beans, the, the sensor inside the bin calls for the fan. The sensor on the outside that's monitoring the air says, Yes, the fan can run. When they are both in agreement, it's going to pump the uh, the moist air into the bin. Uh, you can also set it such that you might say, "Hey, I don't want 99 or 100 percent because that might be rain. Uh, I would like it at 95 or or some such figure." Sure. Uh, let it run automatic, and you can do the same in reverse uh, by uh, if you want to dry them down. If you put a bunch of 15 uh, percent beans in that bin, 16. Uh, you can set it so the uh, the weather station is looking for dry air, and uh, the two work together until they bring the uh, 
relative humidity around that seed back down. Yeah, for those of you who are just tuning in, I talked about this a little bit before during our last segment, and man, this made the huge difference on our farm of allowing us to continue harvesting even when conditions were a little bit wetter and we were bringing in some soybeans that were wetter than we would normally like and certainly wetter than we would normally put in a bin, but with good aeration and controls like Tony's talking about uh, to to take moisture out of beans or to put moisture back in if your beans are too dry, uh, it's just been a game changer for our farm. So something you definitely want to take a look at. Again, uh, Tony mentioned their website, Farm shopmfg.com. You can go there for, for more details. Tony, thank you so much. Really appreciate all the info today. Hey, appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. You have a great day. You bet. You as well. I got Lucas Haig with us right now as an agronomist down at uh, Kansas State University. Lucas, how are you doing today? I'm great, Darren. How are you? Doing very well. Uh, you know, earlier on the show, we were talking to Mike Staten with Michigan State, and, and he said there are serious preventable losses out there that growers need to be aware of to try to stop. What are some of the things that you see in your area that, that farmers can do to reduce harvest loss uh, on, on really any crop? You bet, Darren. And, and so and really uh, this year I think is going to be especially challenging as, as we get harvest rolling just because with the weather we've had and the, the growing season conditions, we're going to have a lot of variability in these fields, which is going to make, uh, you know, getting a machine set and getting our operating conditions kind of where we need to be to minimize loss. It's, it's going to be, it's going to be difficult just because of how much variability we're going to see in the field. Um, you know, and, and, you know, some of these things, a lot of the things we used to talk about a lot, technology is kind of caught up with a bit, you know, still, uh, you know, deck plates on, on the corn head, making sure that, uh, we're in good condition there that we got the, you know, the proper amount of taper, um, you know, by and large, we like to see them, uh, uh, you know, obviously, uh, slightly narrower at the front and about a three eighths to half inch, uh, taper as you go from the front of the deck plate to the back. So it starts, starts up front there, you know, and, and, and then I'm located in Western Kansas. So a lot of our dry land corn, you know, ends up going at, at fairly dry moisture. So we know, we know that, you know, butt shelling is always an issue we have to deal with there, but making sure our deck plates are in good condition can go a long ways. You know, you mentioned that, Lucas. There are a lot of areas of our country that I've been amazed as I've traveled around how people do things differently in different parts of the country. And uh, I, I mean, I grew up on on uh, my dad's farm and seeing how my dad did things and my grandparents did things. And uh, let's face it, not everybody does things the same way they did. Sometimes it's better. Sometimes it's worse. One thing that really surprised me, though, is this dry corn at harvest when, you know, we've got currently we've got these nice bin fan controls that we can use. And I think we can can uh, start stepping it up and, and harvesting a little wetter. But you're right. There's a lot of guys that want to take corn out of the field at 15% or even drier. And to me, that just adds a lot of challenge for, for preventing harvest loss. Yeah, it does. And I, I really appreciated the, the comments your pe- previous guests, you know, being able to, to use the equilibrium moisture content to, to hit things that way. And, and we see that here. We've seen a lot of storage built in this part of the country the last couple of years. And Guys are putting in full, you know, full floor bottoms, and and uh, in our environment, dry air here is is typically not in short supply, and so it is opening up our window to bring in corn a little wetter uh, than than maybe what we have in years past, and so it does cut down on our potential uh, for harvest loss. You know, actually, our commercial elevators around here, there's, uh, you know, out here on the high plains, very little, uh, essentially no drying capacity uh, at our commercial elevators, simply because in our environment the corn dries down so quickly. Yeah, it, it is different in different parts of the country. And, 
you know, when we, we look at, at small grains and we look at soybeans and we look at corn, uh, you know, major crops, uh, how about in, in sorghum and some of the other things that are grown in your area? Yeah, so, you know, really, Darren, it always comes back to, uh, you know, and I, people say, oh, you know, back to basics. And I guess a lot of times it really is. You know, we think about, um, you know, even with, with our bigger machines today and we think about crops like sorghum or even if we've got some green stem soybeans where we've got a lot of mob material, other and grain going through the combine, uh, you know, oftentimes that can make it a little more difficult to get those optimal settings uh, in place. Now, certainly... Uh, cylinder speed or rotor speed continues to be one of the most sensitive things we can do uh, in terms of minimizing damage uh, damage to the grain, uh, but yet making sure we're getting uh, we're getting enough throughput through the the machine. Uh, but even before we get to the rotor, you know, starting up at the at the concave, um, you know, I think one of the common things I see, and we especially fight in our environment due to our dry harvest conditions, is you know we sometimes have a tendency to to run that concave too tight and we, we fracture that cob too much. And so we really want that cob in halves or, or pie-shaped pieces. We, if we're breaking it up smaller than that, we have to use a higher rotor speed to compensate and still get the grain off, which means we're causing more grain damage. So it's, it's, it's a lot of give and take. Yeah, there's a lot of trade-offs there, no doubt about it. We've been talking with Lucas Haig with Kansas State University. Lucas, thank you so much, and good luck to all the farmers down in Kansas uh, as harvest gets underway. You bet, Darren. Have a good day talking about harvest loss and what you can do to prevent it on our show today. Also taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. We'll be right back. The last thing you want after harvesting your grain is to spoil it before it goes to market. The Grain Temp Guard from Farm Shop MFG is a low-cost bin monitoring solution that tracks temperature and humidity and alerts you when conditions exceed safe thresholds. Visit farmshopmfg.com. Avoid dry run failures with the new Hypro Force Field Pump. Providing the ultimate protection, this wet seal pump will save you on costly in-season downtime to keep your sprayer running. Now all you have to worry about is the weather. Hypro, helping you spray better. Every farmer knows that in order to be profitable, you need to maximize the return on your crop input investments. Hi, I'm Scott Harms, an agrist specialist with Grain PhD. Without an effective and flexible strategy, your grain marketing plan gets stuck in the mud. With Grain PhD, you get the clarity and guidance a solid marketing plan needs. Our free GrainBridge software simplifies your cost-profit analysis, and our risk specialists are here to help you develop your plan. Sign up today at GrainPhD.com. No one has to explain stress to a farmer. That's like explaining wind shear to a pilot. Now, Mother Nature stresses corn the way markets, bankers, and politics can stress you. But there's a proven way to reduce stress. With Headline Amp Fungicide, you'll see the difference. It decreases stress from disease, drought, hail, and heat, so your corn can focus on what matters most, better yields. Talk to your local rep about Headline Amp Fungicide and BASF plant health. Always read and follow label directions. When it comes to my weed control, I know a head start can go a long way. That's why I spray early, so I can keep control all season long with a Roundup Ready Extend Crop System, the system that makes the difference. This is my field. Choose the Roundup Ready Extend Crop System for control of more weeds than any other soybean system. 
featuring Extendamax herbicide with VaporGrip technology to manage tough-to-control weeds, including up to 14 days of soil activity, along with the field-proven performance of Roundup Ready-to-Extend soybeans. Now you have the right tools to extend your weed control and extend your yield with the system that makes the difference. Learn how you can put the system to work in your field when you visit RoundupReadyExtend.com. Extendamax is a restricted-use pesticide. Performance may vary. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Check local regulations for specific requirements in your state. We plant corn in Iowa, spray soybeans in Illinois. We pull calves in Kansas, farrow hogs in Minnesota. We raise rice in Arkansas, rye in Canada, and wheat everywhere in between. We farm millions of acres across North America and build every piece of Case IH equipment. Built by farmers, for farmers. Case IH. Rethink productivity. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today. Our phone lines are open at 844 844- 44 Ag PhD. We're talking about harvest loss and what you can do to prevent it, uh, but we're also taking your agronomic questions as well. We've got Dell on with us right now up in Michigan. Dell, how's it going? Doing fine, thank you. Well, what can we do for you? The question is on the harvest header. Have you heard of a fan that you add to the header to put compressed air? to the sickle bars to blow the beans up into the uh, header so you don't get loss of beans. That's what we're talking about today is harvest loss. Uh, The the bean pie shattering as you cut it, and the fan is supposed to prevent that. Do you have any of that on your farm? Thank you. Well, we've been doing, uh, we've been using an air reel um, and uh, and trying to to help us with harvest that way. Uh, there's certainly years where where that's been more helpful than others. There've been some years where the guys have said, "Ah, we didn't didn't need that this year." But more times than not, we've been pretty happy with that. Uh, I I think it's been a real positive thing personally. All right, thank you very much. Hey, you bet. Th- your show. You bet. Thanks a lot, Dell. We really appreciate that. I've had had uh, a lot of uh, interesting uh, calls and questions lately too. I got one from Delbert in. Uh, North Carolina, he said, hey, I'm wondering, are your family and friends all okay after the tornadoes that went through the Sioux Falls area? Yeah, Delbert, we uh, we actually fared fared pretty well through that. If you hadn't heard, there were there were three tornadoes that were uh, about uh, know, 10 miles roughly south of our farm, which happens to be about right where I live. And yeah, in fact, uh, uh, one of them didn't miss my home by very much, but fortunately, uh uh, managed to to get through that without any huge damage for for me personally, uh, but but yeah, our city sure sure took a hit, no doubt about that. But uh, yeah, it sounds like uh, for the most part everybody turned out okay in terms of safety, which is the most important thing. You can always always fix uh, all the other property and and so forth and plant more trees, but uh, but that's a big one. Uh, let's head back to the phone lines here. We've got Leo with us or Leo Bose with us right now with Case IH. Leo, how are you doing today? Hey, Darren. Great. How are you? 
Well, good. I hope you're getting your rest right now because it's about to get crazy here as harvest gets going oh. across the Midwest. We're talking harvest yeah. loss today, and I know this is one you get a lot of questions about. What can I do? How can I adjust my machines to have less loss out in the field? Because uh, we were talking earlier with Mike State and with Michigan State, and he said, let's just take soybeans, for example. There's easily a bushel or two of preventable loss that many farmers are experiencing, and uh, that's that's why we want to bring some experts on. Uh, Leo, how can we fix this? Yeah, great question. You know, I traveled back yesterday from Husker Harvest Days, right, and crossing an I-80. This year is going to be a challenging year, and I think uh, based on the late planting that we, you know, received for that seed to go on the ground, now we're going to deal with, you know, higher moisture in that crop and that stem. So when we look at corn, for example, with the corn head, and you look at specifically some operational tips, you know, it all comes down to some fundamentals. And when we look at that corn head, just running the corn head at, you know, for Case IH at 23 degrees. Now, what does that do? It's the angle that's measured on that stripper plate to the ground. So what does that do? it you know it allows us to feed that crop in and if we run that flatter we run run the risk of bringing more leaf material in and if we run it too steep well then we get that kernel loss that you know tallies up to you know bushels per acre lost and you know those are the simple things and and we can do simple things on that corn head of just by you know looking at gathering chains you know we can stagger those to, or you know time those gathering chains together so when you look at a staggered pattern on that uh, gathering chain it's going to pick cleaner um, and probably the greener stickier leaves that we have this year that's probably what we need um, and if we run a time pattern um, you're going to find that sometimes it's going to give you a little uh, we, we call it picking dirty you're going to have more uh, you know material coming through that combine so if you switch back to your original question there on soybeans you know looking at just the simple things on our real speed and real height uh, to the engagement of the crop and we see a transition more from an auger head to draper head so we probably see less loss from using that draper head because now we can cut gather and lay that soybean plant on the draper belt and then end feed it into that feeder house and that combine so you know i think a challenging year and then ultimately what we would say is that we always want to fine tune and we want to look at that overall grain loss and that combine performance. So what does that mean? We want to actually do a power stall. So we want to stall that combine in its tracks in the field. And then we want to actually go from header to spreader and see where our losses you know, are coming from. You know, Leo, we've got so many growers around the country that have been sending us pictures and asking questions about, hey, I've got some stock breakage, I've got some stock rots, I've got leaning plants. Uh, it doesn't look like that would be fun. I mean, there's a lot of fields that it's just flat fun to run a combine in, and there's others that I would prefer my brother would do it. Uh, and in some of those fields, how do you deal with that? When you got corn leaning every which way, how, how do you minimize loss? Boy, a lot of the things now are done inside the cab, so just simple adjustments. Uh, we talked about earlier in deck plate adjustments. Now I can actually do that from the cab. I can hydraulically narrow those up or widen, or widen those deck plates up. I can also tilt back that feeder house um, with a header relationship. I have four and a half now on that header. Uh, so like on a 250 series combine, if we have that you know, bad word, down corn or gooseneck corn, how, how do we get underneath it? How do we gather it? How do we try to save as much crop as we can, you know, to put more yield in the bin? So, you know, those are the things that we're trying to do 
easier in the cab to make those adjustments. And at the end of the day, um, we do have some features called AFS Harvest Command that automatically adjust that combine as we go through the field. So before, we would almost have to you know, be on the adjustment of whether it be rotor speed um, or cleaning fan speed. Now, that combine will automatically adjust that as I go through the field. Hey, Leo, as we're talking, we get a question in from Teresa who writes, uh, I'm wondering if you would answer this question, which head works better for soybeans, a draper head or a head with an air reel? Well, and I think, you know, to answer that question, when you look at a draper head, the, you know, back in 2003, we really launched the draper head uh, in, I would call it, in the Midwest. Um, that's when we launched our 810 combine, and I had an opportunity to, to be in the field with that first flexible draper. And, and I would say that flexible draper, just because of the way that it cuts, gathers, and feeds that crop in, uh, definitely lays it into that belt so we don't have that potential loss of that soybean. So when I look at an air reel that could be fit on an, uh, an auger head, you know, that's an option to, you know, look at trying to save as much of those beans as we can. So that air reel tends to push those beans, if they come out of the pod, um, up over that cutter bar and into the auger area, and then that auger brings it into that feeder area. So I think, you know, I'm more probably leaning towards a draper just because of, one, you can pick up ground speed as well as you can go later into the evening, earlier in the morning when that moisture level and that air content uh, raises up. So, um, you know, that draper probably leans out a little bit more uh, in the front. Yeah, so many questions as we get towards harvest. Uh, Leo, where, where can we find more resources uh, about getting things set right down the combine and, and just reducing harvest loss in general? Well, that's a great question, Darren. You know, a couple of first places, our Case IH dealer organization, you know, the local dealers, they're the experts with the crops and conditions that we have this year. I would lend, uh, you know, lean on them and, and get their expertise as well as guidance. Uh, you can also go on caseih.com and pull this information off as well. Um, so there's a couple different areas that uh, you'll be able to see. And, you know, we just finished up with the farm shows. In fact, Ohio Farm Science Review is next week. We have our crop uh, specialists there, including a harvesting specialist that uh, can answer any one of those questions. So if you're in the Ohio uh, River region, uh, come to that uh, Ohio Farm Science Review in Columbus, Ohio. We're talking with Leo Bowes here with KSIH. Leo, thanks for all the tips. We really appreciate it, and good luck this harvest. Hey, you bet, Darren. Have a safe harvest your, yourself. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, let's jump into the Ag PhD mailbag, Janelle. It's the mailbag! We were talking about growing degree days and growing degree units a little earlier, and Tim had a question. He said, I understand how to figure out GDUs, and I've got an app on my phone, actually, that, that I'm using to, to get the GDUs. We have a GDU calculator app as well, uh, Tim. Maybe you're using ours. Uh, but he said, my question is, how many GDUs does a 99-day corn need versus 110-day corn? Oh, well, that's, a, that's an interesting question. So we look uh, at that 9,900-day corn. It typically needs from planting to black layer somewhere in the neighborhood of 2,300 to 2,400 GDUs. 110-day corn, though, needs 2,600 to 2,700 GDUs. So you can see the big difference there. It doesn't, well, and maybe it doesn't sound like it very much if you're not a corn farmer. Oh, it's only a few hundred GDUs. But when you're only getting maybe 10 a day at best, that's a 70-degree high and a 50-degree low in the northern part of the U.S. or in southern Canada. Uh, yeah, uh, three or 400 GDUs makes a big difference getting to harvest. 
Thanks for all the, the calls and questions to today's program. Really appreciate that. We invite you to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio. Now stay tuned for Rob Sharkey and Shark Farmer Radio.